um, in two months or, or so, it'll be a new year. And it was our goal that the Lord would, by his spirit, um, reform us. Because life has a way of kind of changing us into something that we know God didn't want us to be, right? As a way of tugging and pulling on that. Uh, so this week, I wanted us to look at Reformation through lack. Reformation through lack. Yeah, I thought the same thing. Whew. Reformation through lack. Lack, like not having something, a lack of something. The word lack means to not have or to not have enough of. To not have or to not have enough of. Reformation through lack. Now, we've all experienced lack. Most of us have experienced lack more than we've experienced abundance. But the idea of lack and abundance is relative. Because most third world countries would consider even your lack state abundant. So if lack could be uh, subjective, right, then it's a matter of priorities and perspective. Priorities and perspective. Many a times people have come to me in times of lack. And it's not just to ask for money, because they do, and I give, right? It's not just to ask for advice, because they do, and I give. But the most treacherous conversations I have to have regarding lack are the ones where I can literally and physically see that you are blessed and you cannot. Those are the most treacherous, most aggravating, most upsetting, because I personally I'm a fan of God. So when you tell me that you prayed and asked God for a necessity and it didn't happen, I'm going to take offense to that. Because he is Jehovah. You already know, Christian, because my God does not lie and he does not change. Hello? It's hard to tell people in the midst of economic downturn. You know, I lost my job, got an eviction notice. My car needed a new transmission. My tooth fell out. I don't have no groceries, right? It's hard to tell people, and I don't even can't say you don't have any groceries. You did not go to the store <laughs> or you don't want what's in your cabinet because nobody in here has no groceries. If you do, it's just temporary till the ebit comes in. Right? Right? So, because this is America. Land of the gluttony. Oh. 
The idea is that you could get food. You just don't want to get food that way. You could have food. You just don't want to have food that way. Because I got a pantry full. Okay? Minister Hussey got a freezer full. Hello? We would gladly give you food. But you don't want food. You want money. You want money so you could feel like you can spend it on what you need to spend it on. And you just heighten the food need in order to feel better about the request of money. I'm not saying the food need wasn't there. I'm saying you heightened that in yourself. Hello? In yourself. I mean, I met homeless people saying, you know, can I get a, can I get, I'm so hungry, can I get a couple bucks? I'm like, here, I can buy you some food. I don't want that. See, you, you see what I'm saying? The idea here is when it comes to lack, it is obvious that it is a matter of priorities and perspective. Always. Now, sometimes, mm -mm. priorities and perspective. Name the thing that you don't have, the thing that you lack the most, the thing that you're always lacking, and then adjust your priorities. Yes? Or change your perspective. And you'll see, huh. Oh, look at there. Look there. I, I do have something. And that's the hardest part about encouraging people. It's because they don't want to face the truth that what you have is enough. That God's grace is sufficient because you live in the land of abundance. And by comparison to everyone else, you don't have. But nobody asked you to compare. It is your comparison to others that causes you the most stress and pain. When are you going to learn that what works for them may not work for me? And what they need is not necessarily something I need. You're letting other people define your perspective on your own life. That's tragic. You're letting family members that said you weren't going to be nothing and, and, and different ones that said you weren't going to do good with them kids and you let them all speak in your head. And now you up here got to live to a certain standard and got to project a certain thing. Your kids can't go without this. They can't go without that. For, forget the fact that they're becoming spoiled, entitled, don't know how to sweep a floor, can't make a peanut butter and jelly sandwich, can't make a peanut butter and jelly sandwich. I was cooking breakfast in the microwave. It was nasty, but my parents ate it. Bacon all limp. <laughs> Still kind of pink. Eggs was like a rubber band, you know. <laughs> to the toast is the only thing that came out good. I could make some toast. Okay, let's move on. Um, so lack is an idea, a concept that is subjective to your perspective and your priorities. So when you don't have something and it affects your mood, your attitude, your disposition, and your countenance, what you're really saying is I am too immature to adjust my priorities or my perspective. And I feel like a child Everyone must succumb to this intense emotion that I cannot seem to control because children are the ones that cannot control emotion, right? So now everybody has to adjust to your mood because you can't change priority or perspective in order to change your attitude and disposition. Now, I know what you're saying, Pastor. 
you, you, you don't know my life. You don't live with the kind of problems I live with. I do. Somebody that know my life, tell them I do. You just don't know it because I control my emotions. I don't walk around when my bank account is negative and the church account is negative like, oh, woe is me. Pastor, you got a meeting at three. I'm not going to my meeting at three. I'm depressed. I'm going to stay in the bed. And I don't even get paid a real salary. Don't even get me started on that, okay? It's not like when I go and clock in, I'm going to get money. Because then you'd say, even though I'm depressed, I better get up and go clock in or I'm, so I can get this money. See, I can't say that. I'm going to go clock in and just clock in for clocking in sake. Yeah, I'm just, I'm just here. How much you going to get for this? I don't know. What you going to take home at the end of the week? Last time they gave me $20. <laughs> that was fun. Get a church, $367, I think it was. Never seen nothing like that before in my life. I don't even know, but I'm going to go to work. People say, what do you do for a living? I'm a pastor. Pastor, what you doing right now? Working. See, when you hear work, you think money. So how is it that a person that can work more than 40 hours a week get no real income or salary, stay faithful and excited to the job and task at hand if it's not a matter of changing priorities and changing perspective. What I'm trying to tell you is that I am your solution to your mood problem. And you have a mood problem. You have an attitude problem. Men shut down and women get snippy. Oh, oh, men go introvertedly inside themselves. I got to figure something out. Got to get my life together. I don't know what's going on. Then they start getting petty about dumb stuff. Who left the dog on refrigerator light on? The refrigerator light, it comes, it comes on when you, no, somebody left that refrigerator light on. We ain't got no money for this. Whoa. I'm telling the truth. Men get real snippety about the smallest stuff. Smallest stuff. You know what? You could have reused that paper towel. We ain't got paper towel money everywhere. You just fold it up and use the other side. <laughs> right? Women, we get moody, worried, anxious, right? So anxious, staying up late, trying to recount the same money. Checking the same weeks. Okay, the 15th, 3rd. No, 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 3rd. Is that a Tuesday or Wednesday? Wednesday. All right, all right, all right, all right. And we have to stay up and come up with the lies. I'm going to call the electric company. Then I'm going to tell the phone company. Yeah, 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 that'll work. But I already know if I tell them this, they're going to already waive that. So I'm going to go ahead and... And no matter how many solutions you think you've come up with, none of them seem to change your disposition which means an answer to your financial problem still does not change your mood. Yes. It's a matter of priorities and perspective. Good, you have to change it. At some point you have to recognize, even though I wanted this, at least I have this. Amen. 
even though I wanted that, at least I have this. Even though I wanted this, at least I have that. Do you understand? And maybe that's not even as important as this because this is the most important thing, yeah. right? My health, my children, my husband, my wife, my family, all right? Then after that, my ministry, my church, you know, that, that, you know, this is the most important thing. And you start dwindling it down from there. But some of you have put some of the dumbest things as top priority. I mean, really, a new car, a fancy car, right? Most of y'all live on the martyr system. You too good for martyr. They say it's smarter. Nope, you say it's not a. All right, let's move on. What I'm trying to say is I could preach a message on lack and I could preach on how God will provide and I can show you that he will give you what you need and that he clothes the lilies. You know these things already, don't you? Do. All right. But somehow knowing the scripture as true as it is does not change your disposition. You have to determine that I'm going to change my perspective and change my priorities. It's nobody else's job. If not, you're going to look very moody, always sometimesy. Do you understand? Can't really figure out whether you're going or coming. I don't know which version of you we're going to get today. Nobody likes that. And I don't think you like being that, right? So in essence, change your perspective and change your priorities. Make sure that you're stressing about the right stuff at the right time. Yeah? The last problem I think we have when it comes to lack is ambiguity. Uh, when things are uncertain. Now, this is a tough one, all right? It's very tough when things are uncertain and you're lacking. Um, I don't have a, an equation for that one. <laughs> the only thing I can tell you is it always works out. That, that's... that's <laughs> That's it. That's all I got for that one, okay? Because <laughs> I've never seen the righteous forsaken or his seed begging bread, right? At the end of the day, it always works out. That's a promise that God gives us to those that love him are called according to his purpose. I think what gets the reason why you cannot adhere to that feeling that it always works out is because your life is not going in a direction where you are called according to his purpose. Because when it is, you can say, it'll always work out. It'll work out. And you can fall back on that, and it's secure. Do you understand? It'll, it'll work out. Yeah, that's secure. It'll work out. See, when you've been slipping and sliding, dutching and diving, you understand, and somebody comes tell you, it's going to always work out, baby. you be like, is it? It's going to always work out, is it? No, I'm the one that got to figure out how to work it out, because I always got to figure out how to work out all the problems in my life. I'm the only one. Me, Me myself, and I. you ain't got no God? Oh, so you must have fell into sin. Now you can't even feel him. Must have been swiping on some stuff you shouldn't have been swiping on, doing some stuff you shouldn't have been doing, smoking some stuff you shouldn't have been smoking, drinking some stuff you shouldn't have been drinking. I don't know what you've been doing, but somehow you done got your soul messed up. Because the first thing a believer should feel in times of trouble is God. Don't look at me like that. Just because I don't say to you, I know what you did last summer, does not mean I don't know. You have so many tells. And you will never show you will never see me treat you like I know. But your whole soul tells on you. Like you done you doing something you ain't got no mm-mm. 
So it's going to be all right, baby. You're like, yes, yes, it's going to be all right. It's going to be all right, baby. That's it? <laughs> you don't really say that to me if that's what you're feeling. Is that all you're going to tell me? Is it going to be all right? Man, whatever. I got to figure this out. And instantly you feel like the whole, your whole life is on your shoulders. But as a believer, I never feel that way. The joy of being a child of God. Should you decide to have faith like a child, the joy of being a child of God is I don't have to worry about my life. I just have to endure whatever difficulties is there until the good stuff comes up. See, I had good parents. Some of you did not. Let me show you how good parenting works. You wake up as a kid, breakfast is on the table. You go to school in the clothes that they put in the closet. You get the books, put them in the book bag that they bought. You catch a ride to the bus stop or you walk get to the school, you come from the school, back home, you eat the snack that's in the pantry, you watch the TV, you turn on the AC, you do your homework, you rush to clean up and make the beds and wash the dishes before your family gets home, and then you wait for the dinner that your dad will cook and put it on the table. And we sat and ate dinner together. We weren't going in their own rooms. I didn't even know that was a thing. People was like, yeah, we go, on our, go in your room to eat by yourself. When, when do you get a chance to talk and say, hey, what's going on, you know? I was like, oh, this is, this is some slop. I didn't even know people was raised like this. I, I thought it was a thing. You got parents, you eat together. I didn't know that you could have parents and you eat by yourself. I didn't even knew that existed. I thought that was for people that had no parents. Oh, poor little orphan. Take your food in there. Right? So by the time we ate dinner, took a hot bath, my parents paid for the hot water, dried off with a nice fluffy towel that they had washed and folded and put in the cabinet just for me. Put my pajamas on, my parents bought, slid into my bed, comfy, pillow, sheets, blanket. Got in that bed, closed my eyes, and worried about nothing. Except for whatever current drama was going on at school because that was my life. That's good parenting, yes? When the father wants to parent you and be a father, the problem here is you have to understand how to be a child. It's not a question of how good of a father he is. It's a question of how good of a child you are. He's always a good father. You don't know how to be a kid. And it's difficult to tell people that, that were, grew up too fast how to be a child. Right? Both spiritually and in the natural. I have to tell Kaya, can I use your example? My baby Kaya, he grew up too fast. Tell me some of the stuff. I said, whoa, you was a baby. Get back over here and be a baby. So when he's with me, he is a child. Right? And I make sure he knows he's a child. He wakes up, breakfast on the table. Here's your coffee, this is your lunch, this is your dinner. You don't have to worry about anything. Get dressed, go hang out with Big Cuz. I'll see you when you get back because you're a child. So it's a hard thing to try to reteach someone who had to raise themselves or got into some mess, you know what I'm saying, and tried to be too fast, too soon. Do you, you know what I mean? To, okay, calm down. No matter all the experiences you had in your life, your brain is still that of an 18-year-old. 
And just because you've had a ton of experiences does not mean your brain is capable of processing. But we'll keep making you process because you've already done so much. Do you understand? Like you lived an adult life, so we'll keep making you have to do adult things rather than recognizing your brain still is not there to actually do adult stuff. I'm sorry, I feel very, very passionate about this. And so we push and push and push, and now you're 30-something years old coming to my church. Saying you have a hard time trusting God. Saying you have a hard time letting walls down. Saying that you always feel lonely or by yourself. Not knowing how to have solid relationships with people. Long and enduring friendships, let alone marriages. Hello? Because you don't want to be a child of God. A child of God. And think about, next point, that you don't like about being a child of God. Is when it comes to what he gives you, he decides. So the other issue is, you don't want him to decide. You want to decide yourself. Now you're stressing because you wanted the responsibility of trying to pick what you want and do what you want, and it's stressing you out. And the only stress it is, is that you want what you want. I just want it this way. I, want, I need it this way. I got to have it like this. This is what I want. And now you're worried and stressed because you're deciding not to be a child of God because you're afraid he's going to give you something you don't want. He's going to give you something you don't want, something that's not enough. But when you're a kid, you get what you get. And it is sufficient if it is not, and you decide, see, that's the problem. See, you learn how to check your emotions when there's lack because your parents will give you a smack to the lips. I'm fine. Mm -mm. Are you pouting? Are you pouting? Mm -mm, mm -mm. I ain't pouting. I something in my tooth. It's just getting something in my tooth. It was in my, I'm not pouting. They'll train you to have some, some emotional control because you didn't get what you thought you wanted. I wanted more. That's not what I wanted. I didn't want, um, uh, chicken for dinner. I, I want I wanted spaghetti. I needed McDonald's. I didn't want this. You know, you know. So you learn how to be grateful and to control your emotions and lack. And at the end of the day, when you have good parents, then you recognize it's going to be all right. The joy about both my parents, and I don't mean to brag on them, but I have to because they were great. All right. Is if it's something I earnestly wanted, all I had to do was wait. And my dad and mom would bust their tail to get it for me. All I had to do was wait. I translate that back to God. Huh? That if it's something you earnestly want, truly, all you have to do is wait. If you can't wait for it, then you really don't want it. You don't want the thing, you want the joy that the thing will give you. That's why you rush it and have sex before marriage, because it's really not the marriage you want, you want the sex. Hello? Hello? Uh-huh. Okay. All right? So this is priorities, you know, and, and lack is what we're focusing on is reformation through lack. Knowing that your attitude about your lack is a change of perspective and priorities. And number two, you need to be a child of God.
a child of God. And maybe not like the child you were raised to be, but more like the one the Bible calls for. Understanding that you have the best father. The best. Right? Yeah? And now you have to become a better child. Hello? I don't can't trust God. No, you can't trust you. You're the issue. All right, let's move on. Yes? Yeah. Now, I could have preached on that. But that's not what my message is about. I'm just kidding. I have one verse for you, maybe two, and then we'll be leaving. Okay? John 19, verse 28 through 30. John 19, 28 through 30. There's only a couple of occasions where I see Jesus, um, God in the flesh, actually express a need. I mean, he lived like he had no needs, you know. You don't really see him complain too tough, right? Other people had to remind him to eat. Jesus, you need to eat. The people need to eat. Somebody need to eat. It's been almost eight hours. I'm just kidding, right? You see him fasting in the wilderness, but after that, it's just pretty much he's just focused, you know, just handling business. You don't really see him complain too tough, you know? He doesn't, he doesn't complain about the lack of support. He doesn't complain about the lack of understanding. He doesn't complain about the lack of a salary. He doesn't complain about the lack of a wife. He doesn't complain about the lack of children. He doesn't complain about the lack of clothing. He doesn't complain about the lack of a roof over his head. You just don't hear him complain. And all of these things are things that he lacked. There are a couple of occasions where he actually expresses a need. And John 19, 28 is one of them. After this, Jesus, knowing that all was now finished, said to fulfill the scripture, I thirst. A jar full of sour wine stood there. So they put a sponge full of the sour wine on a hyssop branch and held it to his mouth. When Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, it is finished. And he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. Woo. I don't even know if y'all see that. The master hung upon a tree after being mutilated for hours and hours and hours tortured, then paraded through the city, then nailed to a cross, stripped naked, and then lifted up with your whole broken body exposed. And then, now, above all things, you're thirsty. What an odd time to be thirsty. And out of all the things that I would say, please fix this, thirst wouldn't have been one of them. Can you take this nail? Ow, this nail. Can you take that out for me? It's a little uncomfortable, right? There's so many things I would have asked that you assisted me with. Got to get a Band-Aid or something. This is bleeding. 
Maybe this crown of thorns, that was unnecessary. Can we please take that off? There's so many things that I would think that you would ask for, huh? Besides quenching my thirst. Yeah? But this is unique because the scripture tells you in parentheses to fulfill the scripture. And that's fulfilled scripture, that's fulfilled prophecy comes from Psalm 69, 21. Where it says, they gave me poison for food, and for my thirst, they gave me sour wine to drink. What this scripture is indicating is that Jesus asked for something to drink, uh, for thirst. He says, I thirst, so that he might fulfill what the word of God said needed to be fulfilled. And upon that, his assignment was finished. Hello? Hello? Yeah, yeah. I don't say it. I don't know what you want me to do at this point. Lack has a purpose. Lack has a purpose. Lack has a part is as much a part of God's plan as provision. They're equally a part of his plan. The only issue is your perspective because you out here doing God knows what you don't recognize that your lack is a part of his plan because of condemnation, shame, and guilt. But when you are fulfilling the purposes of God, like Jesus was doing, being obedient on every turn and as much as you can, you're very focused on the things of the Lord. When lack hits you, then you know that lack is just as important as provision and they work for the cause of God just the same. Him saying, I thirst, is equal to him healing a blind man's eye. Same, same. Same, same. Both were called. Well, to what reason was this man uh, sick that the glory of God might be revealed? Same, same. Lack has a unique purpose just like provision. A change of perspective. So now the question is, what is it that God has spoke that needs to be fulfilled and completed by you in this time of lack. The problem demonically with lack and poverty is you can't think about what God wants. You can only think about what you want. That's, that's a demonic problem of poverty and lack is you don't have the ability demonically to think about what God wants. You only have to think about what you want because you lack. Christ died upon the cross for our sins to free us from the bonds of sin and death because sin is often caused as a means to acquire something that is in short supply. That is limited. Hello, somebody. So when we don't care about trying to get food or housing or money or a car because I'm just passing through. Hello, somebody. Ride on King Jesus. You understand? When we don't care about nothing like that, then now we're not inundated with trying to sin to have these things fulfilled. Now we're free from temptation. Well, I better do something. He's going to leave me. Let him go. You, you have to decide some things. So the issue now is just a, a complete matter of priorities and perspective. Priorities and perspective. What is it that God is trying to get you to fulfill that he spoke 
in your life. And that lack isn't going to be met until you can say it is finished. But whatever it is, it has nothing to do with you getting your need met. With you working to get your own need met. Has nothing to do with that. It has something to do with him. And it's your job to figure out what that is. Or at least to walk in it. Hello? But when you're so concerned about what you don't have and what's not right, and it just consumes you. Everything you do is about how you don't have something. Everything you say. I mean, I've seen you walk around where you are just so covered in worry about what you don't know and what you don't have that I can barely recognize you. And I wish I could just say it's going to be all right and it actually works, but it's not because you cannot even fathom that this particular season of lack has nothing to do with you. Has nothing to do with you. What if it has something to do with your kids? What if it has something to do with somebody else's health? What if it has something to do with, with a shift or your job or a sickness or an illness? What if it has something to do with somebody you to run into on the bus that you, that you now have to ride? You have no idea. And if you think that God won't use a Christian suffering in order to reach an unbeliever, then you are in the wrong faith. You're in the wrong faith. You're in the wrong faith. If anyone is going to suffer in order to reach someone that doesn't know the Father, it's supposed to be us. But we can't even suffer because now the gospel is gimme, gimme, gimme. Gimme, gimme, gimme. I lack, gimme, gimme, gimme. Press down, pull down. Get by. Come on, turn around. Get your blessing. Get your blessing. Bigger, better, best. Bigger, better, best. Always, always, always. So when you're suffering, you don't even look for your assignment. When, when, you, when you have nothing, you don't even look to whom you're supposed to bless. All you're looking for is how somebody's going to give to you. How somebody's going to help you. Uh, can the church help me pay for this? Can the church help me pay for that? I ain't even seen you show up to sweep a floor. Every time a church is over, you run out the door first one, but can the church please help me with this? In your time of lack, I don't even see you trying to find how God wants to use you. Because all you think is how now that you don't have anything, you're in need. You're in need. But then you frown your nose upon those that live off of government assistance for their whole lives when you're doing the same thing. Same mindset. I don't have somebody going to have to give me. I don't have, I'm just waiting on the Lord to bless me. I don't have, I'm somebody going to have to, I mean, just constant. Because you don't have now, it's only about how you're going to get. And every message that I preach, if it says lack, I have to preach about how you about to get. It's not right. If the Savior of the world, Jesus, could have a need, right, express it and suffer in order to win us, then I don't think we're above suffering in order to fulfill what the Lord has spoken over your life. And you are doggone stupid and foolish, excuse me, if you think that somehow Christianity removes your suffering. Christianity adds to your suffering. It adds to it. 
And we're the ones that say, it's okay. Why? Because we have the spirit of the Lord. You can't say that. See how y'all butt all tight? Add to it. Mm -mm, mm -mm. Mm -mm. Clench them butt cheeks. Mm -mm. Right? It adds to it. When you recognize perspective change, that my walk adds to my suffering, and it is very true. Have you seen my life? Have you seen my life? Hello? My walk adds to my suffering. There is very little that I could ever do that is productive that does not cost me an intense amount of suffering. It's just become common. The last time I was at the retreat was real painful. My dad was like, Minister Hus was like, well, this is about right. Everybody was like, yeah, Janai, yep, that's about right. Because we know it comes. If there's a great move of God that I have to participate in with the Lord, then it's going to come at a cost of suffering, to which I don't necessarily mind. I just want to know how else can we bless the people. I got to get up so we can do this baptism. Right? But it comes at a cost. But we're the ones that say it's fine because my Savior died upon a tree. It's fine. Just don't ever take your spirit away from me. It's fine. But then you become like the world, complaining and shook and scared and scary and cowardly and self-centered. Yes, you with lack become self-centered where everything is about you because you're the one that doesn't have anything. If Christianity adds to your suffering, then perspective change says maybe it's not about having or not having. You got to change the person. You've been taught in the world that living is about having. Right? Make sure you have something to eat. Make sure you have clothes on your back. Make sure you have a place to live. Make sure you have a car to drive. Make sure you have your health. Make sure you have a savings account. Make sure you have an IRA. Make sure everything about your life has been told is about having something. Yeah. And then suffering comes along and lack comes along and says, but as a Christian, maybe it's not about having or not having. Yeah. Maybe your life is not about having or not having. Maybe it's about fulfilling his word. And he spoke a unique word over each one of your lives, to which I don't understand what's taking you so long, because some of y'all is over 30. You know, once we get to the Jesus crucifixion day, you know, year 33, I just be thinking, um, you behind. Like, I thought we already knew that this was about suffering. I thought we already knew that we were soldiers in an army. War is not pretty. Have you seen this war lately? It's not pretty. It's not nice. But you're going to just, oh, I believe in Jesus. I'm going to skate through. And if something goes wrong, oh, what's going on with my life? Oh, what's happening? Why is God doing this to me? And the rest of us is like, what do you mean? What do you mean? Life is not about having or not having. It's about fulfilling his word. And when you became a believer, that's what you said you would do. Yeah. Fulfill his word. So lack has purpose. It wasn't an accident. You could have lack because of something you did, which he allowed. Or you could have a lack because it's nothing you did. 
But either way, he decided you're not going to have. Now, for some of you, you need to do a very bold and courageous thing, something you've never done before when you don't have, and that is to be okay. Not to say I'm going to be okay when I. Not to say I'm going to be okay, I'm going to show them. I'm just, I'm just okay. That you could change your perspective and your priorities to say, you know what, this is actually kind of good. And you know what, this is actually kind of good. And I never really thought about that. And in some cases, y'all go back to the same problem over and over and over again. I would just wonder, what is it that you are not fulfilling in the will of God, the word of God, every time you come back to that situation? Now, as your pastor, I know your cycles. I could tell you a whole bunch of things. But you should figure that out. Every time you get to this point, what do you do when you focus on yourself? Maybe on this turn, not focus on yourself. Focus on somebody else and see if that changes your situation for the next time. I mean, realistically, it should, right? Right? If Jesse doesn't have $200 and he needs $200, he going to get evicted, right? And rather than asking for $200, he just says, you know what? I'm going to find somebody to bless, right? He gets evicted because he didn't have the $200, which can, can sometimes happen, right? But the person that he decided to bless decides to be a blessing, makes a phone call, does something else. It just seems natural that when you stop focusing on yourself and focus on others or focus on the will of God, that blessings just happen to come to you. Because you recognize that lack has purpose. Amen? Amen? All right. Come on and bless the name of the Lord. Hallelujah. There's one more type uh, that Jesus uh, showed, that we're going to look at today, showed he had a need. And again, it has something to do with his thirst. That's in John chapter 4. St. John chapter 4. Verse, <laughs> verse 13. Oh, let's, uh, let's go back. Verse 7. John chapter 4, verse 7. Are you there? A woman from Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said to her, what? Give me a drink. For his disciples had gone into away into the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, how is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria, for the Jews have no dealings with the Samaritans? Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Stop right there. If you're familiar with the story, then um, she asked, you know, where do I get this living water and how do you, can you give me living water? You don't even have a bucket, right? And he says, you know, um, I can give you living water. He goes on to explain uh, that the water that he gives means that you won't thirst again. And now she's really intrigued. I really want this water. Um, and so Jesus says, okay, go get your husband. And she says, I don't have a husband. And he says, you're right. You've had four. And the fifth one you're on um, isn't even your husband. And she said, oh, my God, you're so right. She said, she said, oh, my God, I have no husband. 
right? You're so right. She says, oh, I perceive that you are a prophet. And our fathers worshiped on this mountain. But you say this is verse 20. Our fathers worshiped on this mountain. But you say that in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. All right. Jesus said to her, woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. Stop right there. Okay. Interesting. Yes? Um, it's apparent now that Jesus' thirst has a purpose yet again. Yeah? Can you see that? It's apparent. Um, his thirst has brought him to a, a Samaritan woman who apparently was looking for love in too many places. She ran into the Savior unknowingly, discovered that he had some kind of living water. When she asked for the water, he explains that, you know, miraculously that he knows her entire life story for the most part. She says, you're a prophet. And the next line after that, she says, sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshiped on this mountain, but you say that in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. Stop right there. That seems odd. Jesus had a thirst. This woman had a thirst, okay? Both of them, she was really thirsty. <laughs> both of them, both of them had thirst problems, okay? Both of them, right? Jesus wanted to drink water. This lady was coming to get water. If de facto, they both had needs. His need brought, her to, brought him to her, and her need brought her to him. Where lack has purpose. It's supposed to be that when you lack something because you know it has purpose, you lean towards the Father versus lean more towards yourself. Now you're discouraged. Now you want to, you, and I need to feel better. I need to feel good, blah, 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 blah. Day before you know it, you start spiraling because of your lack. And it was supposed to be that your lack brought you to the Father, not to fulfill it, but to for you to fulfill his word. That's, that's the plan. Have you seen the prototype was Jesus? Did you see that? Right? What is your purpose here? What is your plan? What am I here to do to fulfill? What do you want me to do? What do you want me to see? Where do you want me to go? Who do you want me to talk to? And when you're in lack and you're always looking outside of yourself, you'd be amazed at how God wants to use you. Absolutely amazed. But Satan convinces you to turn inward, to go introspectively, to be quiet, to cut off, to go by yourself, to go in your room, shut the door, turn off the light. I can't go to church. I don't want to go to Bible study. This is all of you. <laughs> I want you guys to succeed. I really want you to succeed. I want you to know how powerful the father is and how strategic your life is to him. If he can count the hairs on your head, then I'm pretty sure this lack problem was foreseen, known, and accepted by him. The problem is, the problem is you. You don't know where to fulfill, what to fulfill that God wants, because you got your head so far in you. Head in you. That's what I was going to say. Right? 
your emotions all everywhere. Now you need a drink, you know? You need to call somebody, unblock somebody, recall it. Go back to your plug. I don't, listen, I don't know your life story. Let me tell you something. Um, She asks a question to Jesus after she says, I perceive you are a prophet. This is the question. Y'all Jews say we're supposed to worship over there with y'all, but we, suppose, but we think we're supposed to worship here. What's up with that? That's her question. Out of all the things, what happened to the living water? I thought we was on a path here so we don't have to keep coming to the well every day. It seemed like we were on that path. Hello, somebody. It seemed like we were about trying to get that particular need met. But all of a sudden, when you encounter the Savior of all saviors, the initial need that you thought you had is overshadowed by a truer need. Is it possible that your disposition for this lack is only there because there is a bigger need that you have not yet identified? That this meager need here is easier for you to handle because it's physical. And you don't have, you can feel like you can solve this physical problem. And then you put all your attention in solving a physical problem that God can solve like that, and you know it, but you put all your time, all your thoughts, all your emotion in trying to figure out so many problems. I could do this A, B, C, D, that I could do this, uh huh, I'm gonna do that. I mean, it's constant, constant, constant. For one reason alone, to ignore the overshadowing problem that you have with God. You have an overshadowing problem with God. And when you meet him about your needs, that's what he talks about. Conversation changed. We ain't even worried about living water no more. I don't care. I can go to the well all the time. Let me ask you this question, Jesus. Her question is powerful. But so many pastors have read this like it was deflecting she wasn't deflecting to know that you ran into a prophet even though he was son of God and to pour out the biggest question why is this a big question say tell us why it's a big question great 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 people's like um I think I can answer it. it's uh because uh Belshazzar <laughs> all right this is a what kind of woman Samaritan woman, pull out your maps. All right. Okay, you got your maps. Okay. Now, Samaria is pretty much in this region here. All right. Uh, Let's go as a reference to Kings. Yep, First Kings. <laughs> First Kings tells a story <laughs> of chapter 20. First Kings chapter 20 tells a story in verse 1 of how the king of Syria um, conquers Samaria. So Syria at that time, what king is this? 
Okay, yeah. Syria at that time was in this area here. It was huge. Uh-huh. All right, these were empires, people. Okay. So Syria was pretty much there. There was a lot of fighting between Syria and, at this time, the Chaldeans, which were in Syria, but a small subset. Uh, nope. A little higher. Uh, yep. Yep. In here. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. All right. Chaldeans, Qatar, Chaldeans. Okay. So the Chaldeans were at war. Israel became captive by the Syrians um, because they were first Israel, then Judah, all right, um, because they were disobedient. They started taking in a whole bunch of other gods, worshiping other gods, and it just got ridiculous, like, I mean, really just taking in other gods into the temple of the Lord. So uh, Israel got taken in by uh, Assyria, and uh, so did Judah. So this northern part of Israel and the southern part of Israel both got taken in by Syria. Syrians then um, fought and captured Samaria. Make sense? Yeah. Which is key. Now, most of the Jews that were caught up in the Assyrian turmoil had, were deported and lived in the area called Samaria. Okay? Now, this is huge. Okay, this is part of the conflict. All right? As you can tell, from our handy dandy map, right? That that particular fight is the same fight we have now, yeah. all right? In our current war, um, currently, all right? We've got Israel, all right? Um, and they are fighting against Everybody, but um, for the most part, this area, again, the same Syrian empire, all right, the same Assyrian empire, as it got tossed back and forth between them and the Chaldeans, uh, it was, it, it, so Samaria in of itself is a Palestinian territory at some point. It was Palestinian, and for the most part, some people say still is, okay, because you remember, when we talked about Israel, that um, politically, uh, that part of Israel belongs to the Palestines, but civilly, it belongs to Israel because Israel's just taking over land, right? Okay, so tomato, tomato. Okay, now, this particular area of Samaria, all right, is the place where the story with the woman with the well is. Yes? All right. There's something unique to what the woman with the well said. And I don't know if you caught it. So this war is happening now, all right, between what used to be the Assyrians and, and Israel. That's it. So in essence, when Jesus goes to the woman and she's like, your, your, your Jews say we're supposed to worship down there in, in Jerusalem, and we say we're supposed to worship here, which one is right? And why are you asking me for water? It's as if a Jew went right to Palestine and said, can I have some water? The first question they want to get under wrap is, no, 
Tell me your allegiance. Why do you say we're supposed to be down there when we all know we're supposed to be up here? There is tension and conflict for generations and generations and generations even here, and it's more so now. Yeah. Does that make sense? The same groups, all right? The issue is that Palestine and Palestinians are probably just as much Jewish as Jews. So it's truly brother fighting against brother because of so many acquisitions of Israel into the Assyrian um, government. Do you understand what I'm saying? So it is very much so Jewish, except for one area, and that's Samaria. Let's look at, let's look at that. Samaria is, I don't know if my map gonna get big enough. Uh, do I have another map? Yes. Ha, I already have it highlighted. Ha ha. See that Mount uh, Gerizim? That's the mount that Jesus and the woman with the well were at. That's the mount. Okay. As you can see, it's in the West Bank. Remember, we talked about the West Bank. Okay. Now, Currently, there have been some skirmishes back and forth, and they have heightened in the West Bank, which we knew was going to happen. Yes? Okay. Um, something I think, as we close, about the purpose of lack is in this story about the last days. This is my opinion that I believe I got from the Lord. <laughs> All right? Let's go back to um, the woman at the well. Verse 21, you guys remember? You back there? But she asked, so where is the place that people ought to worship? Jesus said to her, women, believe me, women, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. Now we know in Jerusalem has already happened. The temple was taken, uh, conquered by uh, the Greeks uh, in AD 70 right? They triumph over the Roman Empire. Remember? All right. And they tore down the temple. All right. So that happened. All right. Definitely not worshiping in Jerusalem. Mount Gerizim is where they're at currently, and they're on this mountain. Okay. What is interesting about this mountain, which is in Samaria, is that the Samaritans still worship and sacrifice lambs. They still sacrifice sheep on all of the major holidays. Yes? So it is my, and they have been for 3,500 years. Even when their population dwindled down to 150 from being attacked and, you know, and they were 150 in the uh, 90s, I believe it was. And so they tried to, they messed up real bad because they started marrying cousins in order to stay Samaritan, then began to have a lot of genetic defects. And so then the rabbis said that they could start marrying other people from other religions and, and countries, foreigners. Guess what foreign country they marry the most? Huh? Nope. Ukraine. Ukraine. 
they get most of their wives now from Ukraine. As a matter of fact, about 40 plus families, which equals about 30, 305 more citizens from Ukraine. Ukraine is way up. It's up here. Okay? Isn't that interesting? So it is my humble opinion that we should keep our eyes on the West Bank area, all right? Because Israel's gonna try to do, the issue here is that when they destroy Hamas, which is in essence destroying the Gaza Strip, and then they're gonna, um, war's gonna break out, all right? Have you guys been watching the news, me keeping up with it now? I'm so proud of you, if you haven't, for shame, all right? First it looked like it was gonna calm down, and then it did not and now it's escalating, okay? Um, so have you noticed that they started changing their words from the biggest Holocaust to ISIS? Has anybody noticed that? Do you know why they're telling us it's like ISIS? So that we'll be involved. They have to tell Americans that this is like our enemy so that we would, they're, they're prepping us to be involved, not just politically, but in our country, you have to get us involved socially so that we can put emphasis on our politicians. So they're recreating the narrative from the biggest Holocaust to fighting against ISIS. So you can see that change has happened, all right, in order to prepare us for um, a war of territories. So we already know that China went to go visit Russia. That's not good, all right? And Russia, China, and parts of Africa are pretty much in an alliance. Um, I heard Taiwan wants to be over in the same area. So it's, it's sticky. Every, in essence, watch as countries start going to their sides, all right? Um, because that's when, you know, my opinion, humbly speaking, since this scripture said, since Jesus told the woman that you won't worship at this mountain or in Jerusalem, when that land is destroyed and they can no longer sacrifice the lambs or the sheep on Mount Gerizim, Gerizim, we're in trouble. That's my humble opinion. It may not be in our lifetime. This war could be five, 10 years, 20 years, we don't really know. But when that land is taken and they have to cease sacrificing, because currently it's still considered a part of Israel now, politically, yes? And they're right on the Israel and Palestinian border. As a matter of fact, Jacob's well is just over there as well, which got a church on it, of course, you know, but his well is there, the actual well that they were talking at. So that, if that land is touched and they have to stop having sacrifices on a holiday, then you'll know. You'll, you'll really know that even that is now fulfilled. And I think that is, that is kind of where we're going at this point because Israel is going to try, the whole point is to make sure they can get 100%. Remember, we're at 60% full in Israel, all right? taking out Gaza Strip. They always asking, well, who's gonna rule it? Who's gonna run Gaza Strip? Don't, don't ask, you already know. What is understood don't need to be explained. That is, the, <laughs> that is their plan. And the same is gonna go for the West Bank. If the West Bank and the wars start hitting that particular area near, um, I think it's a town called Tabon or something like that. Because they're gonna call it, it's a town called it, what's T? They're not gonna call it Mount Gerizim, all right? It's, it's a Palestinian town that starts with a T. But just look out for that area. Just like we had to look out for um, 
What was that top area I told you about? Northern Israel. Golden Heights. And we were right on that. Golden Heights. I said Golden. Golden Heights. We were right on that one, right? Now we're looking at the West Bank. And now we may be looking at this West Bank area for many years, okay, just to get that temple down, all right, or that area of sacrifice um, to get it down. And when that's down, I really think that time to go. Trumpets are blowing because that is the last and this conversation that Jesus is having with the Samaritan woman is to bring in the Samaritans, which is huge, right? And a lot of Samaritans became Christians from this conversation. And some of them still became Jews. And when Jesus says, you know, we know what we worship, you don't know because salvation is the Jews, the Samaritans broke off and they started coming up with their own form of Judaism, all right, from the Torah. So they have their own, they don't even take the rest of the prophets. They just have their own stuff going on and their own views and dictates on religion. And so Christ going to them is saying, you're still Jewish. Come, come in, come into the fold, come in, come in and be with us. So that was a very momentous occasion because he went to people that hated one another and made sure that that bloodline and that brotherhood also heard the gospel just like their Jewish brothers. And that was a big deal. Yes, standing all over the house. Lack has purpose. 